I'm Chris from Nerd Alert News, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Check out all the other great podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and if you are brand new to the show, this show is all about Magic the Gathering as well as Dungeons and Dragons, with a little bit of whatever else I decide to throw in as well, too. But before we begin, let's get some ads out of the way, and I really hope you enjoy today's show. Well, hey there, Zoe. Why the long face there, chum? I just want to order some magic cards, but the shipping was too expensive. Too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com, you can order any magic cards, and anything over $2 or more has free shipping. Wow, free shipping at LegitMTG.com. That's amazing. You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on Magic Singles and Magic Sealed product available. Wow, that's amazing! How's it going, everybody? I hope you're all doing well today. And feels like I haven't talked to you, the audience, in a while. Uh, mainly because my past couple episodes have been interview episodes. And I had two interview episodes. And then the episode before that was my Grand Prix Atlanta one. Where... Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I can't wait to go to another Grand Prix, by the way. I got to look at the schedule for next year and see when there's any of them that are close to me. Uh, I think there are some close to me coming up in the summer. And then I know there's some Star City Opens, but mm, I'm not sure if I want to go to any of those. I mean, nothing against Star City Games. It's just I think I'd rather go to a Grand Prix, but I don't know. We'll see. You never know. I may decide to go to Star City Games Open. You never know. But um, other than that, in terms of, I guess, magic, uh, I've been going to F&M quite a bit, and I decided to finally get rid of my Teamer Energy deck, finally. And I guess I wanted to talk about three standard decks that I've been playing. Um, all three different decks. Two of them are similar, but one of them is different, and these are just my builds for them, and I guess... Yeah, it's been a while since I've done a deck tech on the show. It feels only natural or correct or right or however you want to go about it that I actually do a deck tech for once because it's been so long since I've done one. So as you've heard me on the show before, I'm so tired of Teamer Energy. I just got so sick of playing it. And it's not that it's a bad deck. It's just a boring deck. And when everyone else in your shop is playing Teamer Energy or Salty Energy, you just want to sort of blow your brains out because it's just really, really bad. And it's not a fun mirror matchup either. Excuse me. Um, so I decided to, I, and I spent, I don't know, a while trying to figure out, all right, what deck do I want to play? So after thinking about it for a while, I came up with this first deck and brought it to an FNM. I didn't do that great. I think I ended up going two and two, I think, or three and one. I can't remember now. Um, it was red, black aggro. Um, I almost was going mono red at first, but I didn't have, you know, all the hazards. I only have one hazard and I didn't feel like spending money on the others because I'm lazy. Um, not that not that I can't afford it. It's just I don't want to spend 20 bucks a pop. And it's just ridiculous. And plus, I'm cheap, too. So I kind of just made a red-black aggro out of whatever I had laying around. And it is a similar list to other ones I've seen before. But it's slightly different, in a sense. So I'm just going to go over the main board. Sideboard, I'll briefly go over what I have in the sideboard. It's just... It's just I kind of just shaped it around what is in my meta. So your mileage may vary for your sideboard as well so you may not want to take this to heart and i'll post links to the deck list in the show notes if i remember hopefully i remember to do that so if you don't see the show notes and or if you don't see the deck list in the show notes yell at me on twitter or facebook saying hey you moron you forgot the deck list and i'll just be like oh okay cool um so let me go over the lands real quick. I put 23 lands. I was seeing lists running 24 lands in aggro, 
And I just was not happy with that. It felt, and every time I was like just play testing it and solitaring it, it just felt like I was getting land flooded. So I tried 22 and I felt like uh, I'm not getting enough. But so I feel like 23 is the sweet spot. So the lands I have are four mountain and five swamp. Um, I've got the four Ramanop ruins, two Ifner deadlands, which when you sack that, you can put two negative one, negative one counters on target creature and opponent controls. And with the Ramanop ruins, if you forget what that does, if you sack that for two, two generic and two red, um, you can deal two damage to each opponent. So that's just another way of burning. So then I also have Dragon Skull Summit, which is the the red-black check land. And then I have Canyon Slough or Slaw or I don't know how to pronounce that. It's the red-black cycling land. Um, and that's it for the lands there. So like I said, kind of basic mana base. And since it's two colors, it's pretty easy to build. Uh, the instance I have, I have 10 instants. I've got four Fatal Push, which... If you don't know by now, it's a black instant destroyer target creature if it has converted mana cost two, cost two or less, and then it has revolt. You can destroy a creature if its converted mana cost is four or less. If if a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, um, there's also four lightning strike, which is our standard lightning bolt. But for one in a red lightning strike deals three damage to target creature or player instant. And then I also put two unlicensed disintegration as well because I run some artifact artifacts in the deck. And if you forget what unlicensed disintegration does, it's one generic black and red destroy target creature. If you control an artifact, unlicensed disintegration deals three damage to that creature's controller. Um, so the creatures I have, I'm running 27 creatures. I think I was seeing lists that was running a little bit less, but I kind of wanted to pump up the creature count a little bit here. So just starting from the top is I've got four uncrop cash crashers. That's two colorless and a red. It has haste. It's a three, two. You may exert uncrop crasher as it attacks. When you do target creature can't block this turn. So that's a really good three drop coming out of the gate swinging and allows you to stop one of your opponents from being able to block, block that creature or just a creature you don't want to have, you know, to block on his side. Um, the, the breakout star, or the breakout creature in this deck for me personally was actually Amit Eternal. Now this isn't this is a card that's not played that much at all. And when I saw this card just going through my deck, and I think I saw it in some lists too, I was reading. I'm like, holy crap! This is a really good three drop in an aggro deck like this. So Amit Eternal is two colorless and a black. It's a zombie crocodile demon. Has a flick three. Say, meaning whenever this creature becomes blocked, defending player loses three life. So even if it's blocked, it's doing damage regardless. And whenever an opponent casts a spell, put a negative one, negative one counter on Ama Eternal. And whenever Ama Eternal deals combat damage to a player, remove all negative one, negative one counters from it. It's a five, five for three. And that's really, really good. There was one game I was going up against Abzan tokens. Was it Abzan? It was, it was Abzan or white black tokens and um no i think it was white black tokens and turn three ama eternal turn four ama eternal and just he couldn't keep up even when he was blocking with his tokens i'm like yeah you're gonna keep losing life so breakout star for me in this in this deck um then there's bomat courier which has surprisingly gotten way better um I remember trying to run Bomat Courier when he first came out, and he was good. It just didn't feel good enough at the time. Uh, Bomat Courier is a one generic artifact creature construct that has haste, and whenever it attacks, exile the top card of your library face down. You can pay a red to discard your hand and sack Bomat Courier. Put all cards exiled Bomat Courier into their owner's hands. So you could have no cards in hand and Bomat Courier has seven cards exiled. You pay a red to sack Bomat Courier and put those seven cards in your hand. Boom, you just spent one red mana to draw seven cards pretty much. Really good. Um, it runs four of those. Oh, so in case I didn't mention before, on Crop Crasher, there's four of those. There's three Amit Eternals only because I had I only had three laying around. Um, four Bomat Couriers. Uh, the next one is two Dread Wanderers, only because I had two of them. Uh, it's a one black zombie 
Jackal. It enters the battlefield tapped. It's a 2-1. And you can pay 2 and a black to return Dread Wanderer from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery and only if you have one or fewer cards in hand. So it's a card that can just keep on coming and trying to put pressure on your opponent. Not bad. Uh, three Earthshaker Kenras. One in a red. A uh, Jackal Warrior has haste. It's a 2-1. And when it enters the battlefield, target creature power less than or equal to Earthshaker Kenra's power can't block this turn. Plus, it can eternalize for 4 and 2 red, so for 6, and come back as a 4-4 four, four black zombie Jackal Warrior. And has the same ability. You can tell it to, you know, you can stop a creature from being able to block that turn. So that is a really good card. I've got three of them, only because I had three laying around. And then this card... Um, did some work for me too and that's glint sleeve siphoner and what worked for me with that was not only the draw cards it can do but also the menace it has it's a 2-1 for one in a black it has menace whenever glint sleeve siphoner enters the battlefield or attacks you get an energy and at the beginning of your upkeep you may pay two energy if you do you draw a card and you lose one life so once again, not bad at all. You don't mind losing life to just to draw a card. It has one Hazard the Fervent, Fervent because I only have one. And so Hazard has indestructible haste. It can't attack or block unless you have one or fewer cards in hand. You can pay two and a red to discard a card and Hazard deals two damage to each opponent. So that's another way to burn out your opponent. And it's a 5-4 god. Uh, two carry Zev Skyship Raider, one in a red, has first strike menace, and whenever it attacks, you create a 2-1 legendary red monkey creature token named Ragavan that's tapped in attacking, exile that token at end of combat. So that's not a bad little card as well either. And then last but certainly not least are four Scrap Heap Scroungers for two generic mana. Uh, Scrap Heap Scrounger can't block, but you can pay one in a black to exile another card creature card from your graveyard to return scrap heap scrounger from your graveyard to the battlefield so similar to dread wanderer it just keeps coming back so that is my red black aggro deck i i had some fun playing it um like i said i only brought it one week and i went like three one or two two i don't remember it, it was a fun deck it was definitely better than team or energy because i was bored of that and it can kill pretty fast especially when you get some ama eternals on the field and they don't get rid of them so Really enjoyed that deck. The next deck I want to talk about. Now, this has seen some play, but I did a little bit of a different touch to the deck. And this is a Grixis Thopters build, but I added in four cards uh, just to be a little cheeky here. Um, so Grixis Thopters, that is the type of deck where you would want to go wide in. You're caring more about going wide and swooping all in for a kill so i've seen lists run 24 lands once again i felt like i was getting land flooded too much but so i went down to 23 i did not try 22 because 22 felt too um too too little I, I didn't feel like there was enough land so just to go over the lands again i i've got four aether hub which is the energy card where when it enters the battlefield you get an energy you can tap it for colorless or you can pay an energy and add any mana you need two fetid pools which is the island swamp cycle card uh one inventor's fair so if you control three or more artifacts you gain a life you can tap to add colorless or pay four and sack it and you search for any artifact card uh, five Island, three Mountain, no basic swamps, uh, four Spire of Industry, which is you can tap it for colorless or pay one life and add one mana of any color to your mana pool. You can only activate that if you control an artifact. And I've got four Spire Bluff Canal. Uh, that is the the blue red uh, uh, fast land from Kaladesh. So that's my land pool. Uh, I've got two sorceries, uh, reverse engineer, three generic, and two blue. It has improvise, and you can draw three cards. Improvise can help pay for spells. If you have artifacts, you just tap those artifacts. It helps pay for one generic mana. So this can be essentially a two mana draw three cards spell, potentially. Um, for my instance, I've got eight of those. I've got three harness lightnings. Um, I've got two magma sprays. I've got three metallic rebukes, which is sort of a mana leak, a uh, three mana mana leak. 
Um, for my artifacts, I've got four decoction modules uh, to hopefully maybe get an infinite infinite board set up. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you get one energy counter. Uh, then I've got Inventor's Goggles. Uh, it's a one generic uh, artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus two. Whenever an artificer enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach Inventor's Goggles to it, or you can pay two to equip it as well. I've got one Sky Sovereign console flagship which is the big baddie vehicle where whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, it deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. It's a six, five vehicle has crew three. Um, the little card I put in there, that's a little cheeky. Um, it did work me some games. It is Tezzeret's touch. It's one generic black and red or black and blue. It is Enchant Artifact. Enchanted Artifact is a creature with base power and toughness 5-5 five, five in addition to its other's type. When Enchanted Artifact is put into a graveyard, return that card to its owner's hand. Now, I put this in the deck because I really wanted to try to make an insole artifact deck. Obviously, that's not going to happen in this meta or the card pool because Tezzeret's Touch is a tad slower than Insole Artifact, but it was nice having a 5-5 Inventor's Goggles or a 5-5 Decoction Module by turn three and just swinging in. So that was nice. Um, but like I said, it was very cheeky, and I probably could have done away with the card. It didn't help me as much as I wanted it to. Uh, as far as creatures go, I'm only running 14 creatures. I'm running four Aether Supers where it's a 1-2 flyer for one and a blue. Whenever Aether Super enters the battlefield, you get two energy. And whenever it attacks, you may pay two energy if you do create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact token. Uh, I've got four Maverick Thopterus. Uh, three colorless, blue and a white, or blue and a red, I mean, improvise, and meaning you can tap artifacts to help pay for it. Whenever this enters the battlefield, create two 1 1 Thopter tokens with flying. Uh, then I have two Pia Nalar, two and a red. Whenever Pia Nalar enters the battlefield, create a 1 1 Thopter artifact creature token. You can pay one and a red to. Uh, pump up an artifact creature with plus one plus zero or you can pay one to sack an artifact target creature can't block this turn and then of course to try to get that little infinite comp not really infinite combo but infinite uh, thopters going you've got whirler virtuoso and whenever whirler virtuoso enters the battlefield you get three energy you can pay three energy to create a one one colorless thopter token with flying on the battlefield. It's a 2-3 and it costs 1 blue and a red. And if you've got 3 decoction modules, you can just keep creating Thopters over and over and over again. So um, that is the Grixis Thopters. And the, when I played it, I went 2-2 two and two or 3-1. and one. No, I went 3-1 and one with it. That's right. And um, it was a fun deck. It was really fun. It was fun being able to go wide and just overwhelm my opponents with it so the deck i am gonna be playing this week and maybe next week is i like to call jeskai thopters and it's way different build than grixis um, i don't have the tezzeret's touch obviously and it is four three colors uh just to go over the lands real quick i've got four aether hub four inspiring vantage which is the red white a fast land, Inventor's Fair, two island, two mountain, two plains, four spire of industry, and four spire bluff canals. Uh, I've got one sorcery, and that's a fumigate. That's three colorless and two white destroy all creatures. You gain one life for each creature destroyed this way. Uh, I've got nine instanced. I've got two glimmer of genius, uh, three colorless and a blue. Uh, instant scry two, then draw two cards. You get two energy. I've got three harness lightning still, two metallic rebuke, and to settle the wreckage now uh, to really help me against those teamer decks or, you know, anything to where I may not be able to wipe their board um, quickly enough. So settle the wreckage is two generic and two white instant exile all attacking creatures target player controls. That player may search his or her library for that many basic lands, put those cards onto the battlefield tap and then shuffle his or her library. So that was a nice little board wipe I put in there. Um, I've got three artifacts 
just artifacts by themselves. Actually, three artifact vehicles. Two Hardy Kieran, which has Flying and Vigilance. And it has Crew 3. It's a 4-4 vehicle um, for two generic. And then I've got one Sky Sovereign console flagship, again, uh, for my creatures. My creatures are a little bit different here. Um, I've got the four Whirler Virtuoso, two PNLR, four Maverick Thopterus, as I did before. This time, the creatures I have, though, that are different are... I'm, I'm actually up to 24 creatures now because I'm trying to make this more of a creature-based deck. I've got four Master Trinketeers, which is two colorless and a white. It's a Dwarf Artificer. Servos and Thopters you control get plus one, plus one. And I can pay three and a white to create a one, one colorless Servo token as well. Um, I've got four Chief of the Foundry, which is a three generic. Other artifact creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And then I have four Foundry Inspectors. <laughs> which is three generic mana artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. So the thing I like with Foundry Inspector is that can basically make me cast Chief of the Foundry for free. It can make me cast my vehicles for free, um, even cast more Foundry Inspectors for free. So I feel like it's a really good card. And plus with the Chief of the Foundry Lord, it'll just pump up my Foundry Inspector as well too. Um, so, and the last two creatures I put in is Angel of Invention. Um, I was originally thinking of putting in some Gear Hulks in that slot, and I'm thinking to myself, Angel Invention is just another Lord for me to pump up my team. I've only got two of them, though, because it's it's at five mana, and I don't want to... I don't want to make it too high with the mana count or the mana curve, I mean. So Angel Invention is three colorless and two white, has Flying Vigilance lifelink, has Fabricate two, meaning when this enters the battlefield, you can either put two 1-1 one -one counters on the Angel or create two 1-1 one -one colorless servo artifact creature tokens. Majority of the time, I'm going to want to make the servo artifact creature tokens and other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So I essentially have, um, let's see, two, six... I've got potentially potentially 10 lords that I can play to pump up my team here. And I'm um, really excited to try this out. In my test plays, it's very similar to Grixis Thopters to where I just go wide and, you know, kill them. It, it is susceptible to board wipes and it can be susceptible to, you know, super fast aggro as well, too. But that's where the Settle the Wreckage and the Fumigate comes in handy. And my sideboard, oh, I don't have it written down here, but my sideboard does consist of some more Fumigates and um, cast outs and some counter spells to, you know, slow down my opponent if I need to. And I think I put in one Torrential Gear Hulk just in case. Maybe, I think. I'd have to look at it again. I don't have it written down for some reason. I don't know why. But um, those are the three standard decks that I've been playing. And I'm, like I said, I'm actually pretty excited to play them because it's something different. Um, I'm really, I think I'm more excited about the Jeskai Thopters than anything because it's just, I want a really big board and then just pump them all up and just swing in for the kill. Um, but yeah, that's been my magic life lately. Um, apparently on Magic Online, when you Genesis wave for 20, people all quit for some reason. I mean, I don't know why, especially when you're playing Crufix, God of Horizons. So I had that happen to me. But other than that, that has been about it in Magic. Um, Unstable is coming out, and I mean, it looks fun maybe once to draft but other than that I, I don't see the the longevity of it I did see that the EDH rules committee made unstable cards legal in multiplayer commander until what January like mid January or something and while that's cool for people that enjoy that and you know good for them you know for trying to at least make unstable cards a little bit more worthy. It's I'm just like, I probably won't play with anyone that has actual unstable cards, you know, in their decks or anything like that. And I'm just like, mm, cool, but it's not going to make me want to play with you or anything. Um, other than that, the set is just kind of, I, I kind of don't, I, I get, I get why. I mean, this is a fun set. It's supposed to be just for fun, but 
the other side of me is just sort of like, eh, okay, they're, they're all worthless cards. So what's the point? But I get it. I understand. It's not for everybody. Um, even though I try not to be a super competitive player, I just see a set that comes out and I'm like, there's no point to this. I mean, yeah, the lands are really pretty. The tokens. Okay. Yeah. The tokens do look cool, but I'm not a big tokens person. Um, but the lands look really, really cool. And will I pick up some lands? Maybe if I feel like it. Um, my favorite basic lands still to this day are Urza Saga lands. So nothing beats that for me only because it was my first set. And that's just what I remember the most about, you know, basic lands. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, not really anything else I can think of. Um, oh yeah, there was that whole Christine Sprinkle controversy going on where she quit magic due to MTG headquarters. And I did put out something on Twitter where, you know, I've talked to Jeremy before and I want him on the show, but it was just sort of like, no, that would have been a bad idea. But, um, I mean, I guess for <clears throat> what I have to say about the whole controversy is just realized yeah, there's real people on the internet and what you say can affect them and just don't be an asshat. It's really hard to sometimes not be an asshat because it's a lot easier to say stupid shit and mean shit online because you're not actually in front of someone's face, but you know, just try to be nice and don't be an asshole. And that's pretty much it. Um, I could probably get more into it, but I mean, there's been so many other people out there that have said way better than I have, like the professor and, um, you know, so many other people out there that have said way better than I have. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to stand here and think I can say any better. It's just, just don't be an asshat. Be nice. All right. Um, other than that, I think that is it. <clears throat> um, this next little segment I have is just something I recorded with Zoe, my little daughter, uh, after a game of D and D we just had. So I hope you all enjoy that. And yeah, let me know what you think. Hey everybody, Zuby here and I am with my daughter Zoe and we just got done playing some Dungeons and Dragons, right? It's D&D. D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, it's the same thing. I know. So... She wanted to come on here and talk a little bit about D&D. What did you want to talk about exactly? How is D&D so fun to be when we, you are bored and have nothing to do? Okay, so what about D&D makes it so much fun? Because, because, um, I don't know. <laughs> come on, say something. It's because when you're bored, it makes it so much fun when you're playing with family and friends. What is your favorite thing about D&D? When, when Guy Diamond, Creek, and Silvadar, we were trying to fight a female... Um, elf. A female elf so we can get an unconscious dwarf from the bugbear. From the bugbear, and who was the bugbear? The bugbear was the king, and um, he wanted wanted this wanted this dwarf out of here. Yeah, and what happened with the king? You you almost wanted to kill him, right? He was there was a wrestling match, and I beated him. You did? How did that go? How'd you, how'd you beat him? We rolled a d20 and a d8 to see how much damage he did. And I slapped him in the head. Slapped him in the face. Slapped him in the butt. No, you didn't. You didn't slap him in the butt. That's just making up nonsense now. Just kidding. You're just kidding. All right, so what is your favorite class in D&D? Um, ninja. The ninja, a.k.a. the rogue? Yep. And what class is Guy Diamond? Paladin. He is the paladin. And Sildar Hallwinter is a fighter. And let's say what age is we are. All right, what age is Creek Bomb? 
The age of Creek Bomb in Dungeons and Dragons is 29, and Guy Diamond is 32. So he's the older brother, and I'm the little brother. We always fight with three. And what races are Guy Diamond and Creek Bomb? Dragonborn. We always fight. And why why did we choose Dragonborn? Because they they can fight more than than little things. I don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Is Dragonborn your favorite race in D anD? Yeah, because he can fight, bite, and bite breathe fire. <sighs> so. Do you want to keep continuing to play D&D, especially when you get older? Yes, because it helps us more content, concentrate on on a lot of things and adventures. Oh, yeah. What other kind of adventures do you hope that we play? I hope the adventures, if we, if we find a lot of dwarves, I think we can find a lot of friends in there. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to remember, we're at the point in the Lost Minds of Fandelver. We're on the final chapter where we rescued Gundren Rockseeker from Cragmaw Castle from King Grohl the Bugbear. That's that's what his name was. And we and Gundren Rockseeker told us the location of the Wave Echo Cave. So our final mission is to go in the Wave Echo Cave and defeat the Black Spider and get the treasure. Yeah, so we can get the treasure and the unconscious female dwarf. No, there is no unconscious female dwarf. We just got it. No, it, it wasn't a female. It was Gundren. Gundren Rockseeker, the one we've been looking for the whole time. Oh, dang it. <laughs> no, but anything else you want to say about D&D before we end it here? Yes. It's like... It's... It's like how we roll D20s, D8s, and see how much we hit the hit the, the other bugbear, and then we see how much damage it took. Yeah, exactly. It's And it's also a lot of good math as well, too, right? Yeah, it's a lot of good math and science. Oh, what kind of science is there? Um... What kind of science is there? I don't know what science you're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> Silly girl. Uh, yeah. What? I don't know. You talking about like the alchemy that happens, like making yeah, potions? Yeah, the alchemy. And... I was trying to say that, but I didn't know. You just didn't remember the words. Is that it? Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Zoe, for coming on the podcast. And what do you want to say to everybody out there listening? Like and subscribe and subscribe to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Have a good night. So I hope you all enjoyed that little skit with Zoe. Um, we don't play D&D as much as I'd like. It's um, not that I don't want to play more with her. It's just, you know, she's at that age where, you know, the attention span isn't all there. And, you know, we we play, when we do play D&D, it's in at most the longest we've gone is an hour because if it goes past an hour she just starts getting super bored even if it's really exciting she's just all right i gotta get up and start running around and i get it she's eight she'd rather be outside running around or playing minecraft that's her biggest obsession right now is minecraft and we usually play in spurts of like 30 minutes or so and she loves it. This next little part is something that I want to try to start doing more of with D&D. But that is just me talking about the Grave Domain and the new Xanathar's Guide to Everything D&D Supplemental book that recently came out. And I talked about the, the new cleric domain called Grave Domain. So how about you take a listen there and let me know what you all think. I know I have been bad about not putting in as much D&D content into the podcast, and I will just reiterate, in case people don't know, this podcast is first and foremost a Magic the Gathering podcast, but there will be D&D content in here. So, if you don't like D&D content, I'm sorry. Um, I, de- I definitely say give it a shot. You know, read up on it. It's super fun. I mean, made by the same company, you know, Wizards of the Coast does magic and D&D. So, but I recently got the Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which is the newest supplement 
or supplemental book for D&D 5th edition. It is it adds on more options for player classes and some more role playing options as well as the dunt for DMs as well. I haven't read the book all the way through. I'm about halfway through the actual classes content, but there's just one class option on here that I'm already in love with and I can't wait to start a character like this in. I'm sure I've said it before on the cast where cleric is my favorite uh, class because and it's strange because when I play other RPGs, I don't like being a healer. But when I'm in a group of people, you know, I don't mind being support classes, especially when people can't agree on, you know, oh, I don't want to be the healer. I don't want to be the support. Like, I'll be support. And plus, clerics in D&D, especially in 5th edition, are badass. They're not the boring cloth healers that, you know, they can't do any kind of damage or anything like that. No, no, they can they can whoop some ass here. All right. But um, so with clerics in 5th edition, they have something called domains and each domain gives them different kinds of powers. So there's one new domain in Xanathar's that I am super excited to play because it's a weird um, sort of take on a healer. Uh, it's like the opposite of a life domain cleric in a sense. It is called the grave domain. And, and I just want to read uh, what it says and some of the features it has as well, too. So the grave domain gods of the grave watch over the line between life and death. To these deities, death and the afterlife are a foundational part of the multiverse. To desecrate the peace of the dead is an abomination. Deities of the grave include Kelimvor, Weejoss, and the ancestral spirits of the Undying Court, Hades, Anubis, and Osiris. Followers of these deities seek to put wandering spirits to rest, destroy the undead, and ease the suffering of the dying. Their magic allows them to stave off death for a time, particularly for a person who still has some great work to accomplish in the world. This is a delay of death, not a denial of it, for death will eventually get its due. So that was just a little description of what the grave domain does. And um, you get some certain features as well, too. Domain spells, they call them. Uh, first one is called Circle of Mortality, and just right away, this seemed really, really interesting for even a level one cleric. At first level, you gain the ability to manipulate the lines between, or the line between life and death. When you would normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points with a spell to a creature at zero hit points, you instead use the highest number possible for each die. In addition, you learn the Spare the Dying cantrip with which doesn't count against the number of cleric cantrips you know. For you, it has a range of 30 feet, and you can cast it as a bonus action. So just for the first part of that, the first paragraph for Circum Mortality, that is right away really awesome. So when someone in your party is at zero hit points, it will happen, and you need to heal them. You don't even need to roll to see how much health you restore. It's just automatic right away. That is freaking fantastic right there. Right away, I'm just like, whoa, okay. Uh, what other cool features do they have here? All right, next one, Eyes of the Grave. At first level, you gain the ability to occasionally sense the presence of the undead, whose existence is an insult to the natural cycle of life. As an action, you can open your awareness to magically detect undead. Until the end of your next turn, you know the location of any undead within 60 feet of you that isn't behind total cover and that isn't protected from divination magic. This sense doesn't tell you anything about a creature's capabilities or identity. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier minimum of once. You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rent. So, it's not bad if you don't have the sense undead cantrip or spell. I can't, I can't, I think it's a level one spell. It's that can be pretty useful, especially if you're in a town full of zombies and skeletons and stuff like that. So it's not too bad. You know, not too exciting. Not as exciting as, say, Circle of Mortality, which we read earlier, but pretty cool enough. So when at your second level, when you get your channel divinity, you learn Path to the Grave. Starting at second level, you can use your channel divinity to mark another creature's life force for termination. Whoa, what does that mean? As an action, you choose one creature you can see within 30 feet of you, cursing it until end of your next turn. The next time you or an ally of yours hits the cursed creature with an attack, the creature has vulnerability to all of that attack's damage, and then the curse ends. So right away, you can 
make a creature vulnerable vulnerable to to one of your allies attacks that is that's really strong at second level and you can use it for uh, how long does it say you can use it for the next time as an action you choose so channel divinity is usually um used once or twice i think it depends on your cleric level and your wisdom modifier i think yeah i'd have to look it up i don't remember off the top of my head but um like i said right there that seems really strong for a second level cleric that that's insane so at sixth level you learn sentinel at death's door uh, you gain the ability to impede death's progress as a reaction when you or a creature you can see within 30 feet of you suffers a critical hit you can turn that hit into a normal hit any effects triggered by a critical hit are canceled. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier. You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So that is real as a healer for your group. That is that's insane. So especially when your tank is about to die and they take a critical hit, you can be like, nope, sentinel at death's door and boom, you don't take that critical hit damage that that's that's insane right there for me that that's so good um so you also learn potent spell casting starting eighth level you add your wisdom modifier to the damage you deal with any cleric cantrip so that's not too bad that's that's a pretty good little perk right there but last one last and certainly not least uh keeper of souls is learned at 17th level you can trade you can seize a trace of vitality from a parting soul and use it to heal the living when an enemy you can see dies within 60 feet of you, you or one creature of your choice that is within 60 feet of you regains hit points equal to the enemy's number of hit dice. You can use this feature only if you aren't incapacitated. Once you use it, you can't do so again until the start of your next turn. So, you know, start of your turn. Um, oh, God, you, you don't even have to expend spell slot, you you know, spell slots for healing your party if there's someone that just died near you. You know, take their life essence and put it into one of your party members. That's insane. That just seems a really fun take on a healing cleric, and I am super excited to try a Grave Domain cleric. Um, yeah, so, like I said, I, I don't know. It just seems... It kind of feels like you'd be a necromancer, but not like you're not actually raising the dead. You're just using your understanding that death is going to happen and you're sort of manipulating people's life force in order to benefit your parties in a sense. And it's just a really cool take on a cleric. And I mean, it's I, I can't even think of. A game where something's like that even really used for a healer you know because usually anything that deals with the dead they're going to be a necromancer um so it's a, to me it seems like a pretty unique take maybe i'm wrong it's um i don't have a lot of experience with DD 3 and 4 um i don't remember anything like that in DD second edition when i was a kid though i didn't play a whole lot when I was a kid, D&D, I, I did play homebrews mainly growing up, but D&D 2nd Edition, I just remember being a kind of boring cleric. I don't remember anything special or anything like that, So, but I, I'm pretty impressed so far with Xanathers. Um, I think I'll probably, maybe I'll do a few other subclasses, read them out, and just tell you my thoughts on them. But um, yeah, if you liked it, um, just let me know and I can do some more of these. It's I definitely need to get some more D&D content in and, you know, it's I'm loving the game and I'm going to keep on playing and talking about it. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. I hope you enjoyed that skit, too. And before we end the night, I did a little impromptu movie review of two movies, Justice League and Thor Ragnarok trying to i compared the two a little bit and it's just i don't know if this is something i'm gonna do more of maybe i will if i feel the need and urge to um but it was just after seeing these two movies i just wanted to review them and try to compare them a little bit so i hope you enjoy this part too you know let me know what you think uh you know send me an email or whatever and um then we are gonna wrap it up right after this movie review here 
So I wanted to try something a little bit different here. I wanted to do two quick movie reviews of movies I recently saw, and because why not? And they were Thor Ragnarok and Justice League. Yes, two superhero movies that are vastly different in terms of quality, story, in every which way imaginable. So let me talk about Justice League first. Uh, Justice League, uh, spoilers, I guess. Um, a bad guy comes down, uh, tries to steal some bad things, and wants to have bad things happen is the general gist of the story. So uh, basically it starts off with Batman finding out that there's these three cubes called mother cubes that have been around for, you know, centuries, ages. And this guy by the name of Steppenwolf or is it Steppenwolf? I, I can never remember uh, wants to take these cubes and basically terraform earth to, you know, make it more like his original planet. Or, or Dimension, or wherever he's from. And he does mention Darkseid at one point to make it better for Darkseid to come. Darkseid is DC's version of Thanos, in a sense, if you aren't familiar with DC. And um, so then Batman gets together a team, uh, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, and they um, you know try to stop Steppenwolf. That, that's as far as spoilers I'll get into. And the the cast of characters they got for all the all the other heroes i really enjoyed them i i mean wonder woman she's just badass altogether i still have not seen the wonder woman movie yet i really really want to it's one of those every time i think i want to do it it's i either forget about it or just never get around to it and i was super excited about justice league because batman i mean i'm i'm obsessed with batman he's my favorite superhero ever and um so I had to see it. And um, and then, you know, you got Aquaman. Surprisingly, I've never been a fan of Aquaman. And Jason Momoa um, just made him really, really fun. He made him fun and really cool. And then, um, and then we've got Flash, who um, I think I like the TV version of Flash better, but uh, the actor they got to play Flash, I mean, he wasn't bad or anything. He was enjoyable. And then Wonder Woman, I already mentioned Ben Affleck. You know, he's a decent Batman. And then, of course, crap. What's the character? The, I don't even know the actor's name who plays Cyborg, but Cyborg was, mm, I mean, right away with Justice League, you could tell that this whole cast of characters would have benefited so greatly had they done separate movies for all of them f before doing the justice league. I mean, we already have the wonder woman movie. Uh, we already know all we, we know about Batman. I mean, we don't really need another Batman origin story at this time yet. And, but we really needed movies for the flash Aquaman and, uh, cyborg because it especially for audiences who've never read the comics or anything they're not going to really know who these characters are you know i mean we give we get a brief you know small little history of who they are in batman v superman and then also and again in this movie and it just doesn't seem like enough and it it's very telling um i will say that the plot of this movie is all over all over the place but I did enjoy the movie for what it was. Um, I, I I do distinctly remember thinking that this movie could have been another hour longer and I wouldn't have minded it. And it's I don't know if it's because I'm a Batman fanboy. Um, I did not enjoy Batman v Superman at first. But when they got the director's cut or extended edition out i did enjoy it a little bit more when they added in some scenes that did make the movie make a little bit more sense um but overall i enjoyed it it, it was it was fun for what it was yes there were a lot of problems with it the cgi was very lacking the the whole story was just felt like it was thrown together but I think what made me enjoy it the most was the interactions with the Justice League and how surprising um, Aquaman and Flash were 
you know, even together. Cyborg definitely needs a movie for himself to really flesh out more of his character. Um, and then Wonder Woman, I and mean, she's already badass enough as it is. She was, like I said, I, I was like audibly like, yeah, in, in the movie theaters when she was kicking ass. And um, same with Batman, too, because and it I love how they hint that Batman and um, Wonder Woman are going to get together like they do in the comics. So that was fun. So going on to Thor Ragnarok, um, like I said, I saw Justice League first and then I went and saw Thor. And I'm I love all the Marvel movies. I've seen them all. Um, yeah, I have seen them all because Thor is the latest one. The last one that came out was Spider Man, and I gotta say, I wasn't as big of a fan of this movie as I thought I was gonna be. I was super pumped to see Thor Ragnarok. Um, I mean, the trailers were just fantastic. They were awesome. They really pumped me to see this movie, and I was super excited. What I got though was not at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, I will say that the plot and the writing of this movie was a lot more coherent compared to Justice League. It made a hell of a lot more sense. Um, I, I, I can't even I can't even disavow that. It's it made way more sense than Justice League. But the plot is so overused when it comes to the Marvel Universe where a bad guy comes in bad guy does something bad a uh, good guy has to stop bad guy the end and that's basically it that's basically what happens in that movie um i will say that the tone of thor while i understand he can't always be a boring you know godlike creature he was way different tonally in this movie compared to every other Thor movie and even in the Avengers as well. He, um, I wasn't a big fan of the constant comedy going on and my wife described it perfectly. Mrs. Zuby described it perfectly to where it felt like you were watching a sitcom in some parts because they would say something that's obviously funny and obviously the audience is going to laugh at it and they would just sort of stop for a few seconds like not say anything and wait for that on and wait for the audience to have that reaction similar to a sitcom um and it was just i i don't mind comedy at all in in my movies i'm not saying that i need superhero movies to be 100 percent serious and all that no comedy is fine and but there's it felt like there was way too much in thor and it was just, it was getting tiresome in some parts where you're just like, okay, enough with the jokes. Let's just move on with the movie. And even though Thor Ragnarok was about the same running time as Justice League, I felt like Thor Ragnarok could have done, they could have cut like 20 to 30 minutes out of that movie. Every time they would go back to Asgard where, I forget her name, Helena, basically Galadriel, uh, evil Galadriel in Asgard. And, um every time they'd cut back to her, I'd be, I was bored. I'd be bored. Like, okay, here she is. She's going to do bad stuff. Um, and you know, she, she feels she's, I don't know, was forgotten as a child, which I'm not saying anything bad about Kate Blanquette. She did a perfect job. She, she was fine in the role. It's just the story and the writing. I was, I was just bored. I, I felt like they could have seriously just had her, you know, take over Asgard and then never really show her again until, you know, the last 20 minutes, because you pretty much, you know, everything about her character as soon as Odin told you about her and what she was about and that, you know, he had to forget about her, you know, put her into exile and all that. It's like, it's all you really need to know. You don't need to have all these scenes of her rap, you know, rounding up the the citizens of Asgard and get the Bifrost sword again. It was just. It was just very boring and very cliche. And um, all the parts with Thor were really, really good. But like I said, the comedy wore on me a little bit. It just, it, they just tried to be way too funny. But overall, it was an enjoyable movie. But when I have to compare the two, I enjoyed Justice League better. Even though, even though Thor was technically the better movie. I enjoyed Justice League more because it felt like watching a Saturday morning cartoon. And to me, I, I don't need 
I just I, I guess I don't really need deep thought or anything in my superhero movies. I just want to have a nice good popcorn flick and enjoy the movie. And like I said, I did enjoy parts of Thor, but it could have been shorter. It really could have been shorter. They could have taken 20, 30 minutes out. And um, yeah, so those are my two little reviews. Um, If you liked it, you know, just let me know. And if you don't want me to do these ever again, let me know. I may do some more if you don't like it. So, all right. All right, all. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And thank you all for listening. It's, I don't know how many times I have to say, I really appreciate everyone who listens to the show. And, <clears throat> you know, even if they make it this far, you know, I, I, I'm impressed if you made it past the intro. So kudos to you. Um, if you want to find out more or if you want to find me online or anything, I'm reachable on Twitter at uh, Magic with Zuby or on Facebook.com slash Magic with Zuby. You can send me a message there on my page. Um, also by email mtgzuby at gmail.com. Uh, this show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Uh, we're also on the Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And we are on the Guna Geek Network at gunageek.com. As well as if you want to, you know, maybe support the show a little bit, you can support us on patreon.com slash magic with Zuby. Um, you don't have to at all, but you know, it's appreciated. And if you want to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app, especially iTunes, that would be very much appreciated as well. Oh, there's also the new magic with Zuby YouTube channel as well too. Um, it doesn't have an official channel name yet because i just literally started it but if you just search magic with zuby on youtube you will find it and you know subscribe there it's mainly going to be the podcast episodes on there but i may have some other magic or DD related stuff so be sure to subscribe and check that out as well too so once again thank you all for listening and have a great night Whiskey is a question, correct me if I'm wrong.